3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners and custodians of this land upon which we live and work. We pay respect to Elders, past and present, and extend that respect to other Indigenous Australians who may be in our audience or listening to this broadcast. We acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations people in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement, and that sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. We'd particularly like to acknowledge the contribution of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people during this NAIDOC week. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning everyone, you're listening to 3CR, 8.55am. Good morning Grace, how are you this morning? Good, good, good. How is the weather today? I feel like it's not very cold. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Mm -hmm. I sort of feel like most people are probably doing dry July, but I just sort of try and do get through July with the weather and then Mm -hmm. (laughs) feel like there's only another month until there's springtime. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel like, I don't know if it's just me, but like, I feel like, I felt like compared to last year, the winter came by so slowly this year. Like, I don't know, maybe because like, I just lost track of time, but I just felt like the winter came by so slowly. Like, it was so much colder, much earlier in the year last year. And then this year, it was just, it came really late. And we're already in July. And, you know, November is coming, uh, September, October is coming soon. And then by the time it's going to be spring. I hope so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, um, but yeah, I, I would definitely love that because like, I can't stand winter. It's just not my thing. Yeah, I guess if you grow up in a tropical country like Malaysia, Malaysia yep. it's a bit of a, a shock to the system. Mm-hmm. So, NAIDOC week, big yeah. week uh, for everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's running from 2nd to 9th of July, I remember. Yeah. yeah, and there's so much on as well. So we'll be running through events that are taking place um, all over the place in the centre of Melbourne, in Federation Square, Wheeler Centre, um, in communities mm-hmm. and in regional and rural Australia. So, um, yeah, lots to engage with and, and I think lots to really think about as well. Um, yeah, we've moved well past awareness and uh, this is really a phase of active engagement, I think, for all Australians. Uh, lots to think about. Yep. Particularly with the... Uh, Debates about the voice to to Parliament and uh, the referendum coming up later in the year. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. we've got um, lots on for this morning, but uh, shall we start off with some headlines and uh, and then go to the rundown? Yep, so... From me, the the final RoboDub Royal Commission report will be delivered on Friday, and this will outline who will be who was responsible for the scheme. Catherine Holmes will be handing down that final report uh, this week. According to the ABC, 
it was mentioned that the RoboDub was ruled a shameful chapter and a massive failure in public administration by a federal court judge, and a royal commission is about to determine, hence, who was responsible for the RoboDub. Uh, it will be made clear whether the public servants across two government departments knowingly Im- uh, implemented an unlawful scheme, which targets ha- which has targeted some of the country's most vulnerable citizens. Commissioner Catherine Holmes has faced um, unviable task of reviewing millions of documents and hundreds of hours of evidence over the nine weeks of public hearing. So the former Queensland Supreme Court, Court Chief Justice has considered testimonies from more than 100 witnesses, including the two former Prime Ministers. And into another use about considering the end of financial year, Rate, rate, rate rise relief may be temporary as RBA warns that inflation could force its hand again. According to the Sydney Morning Herald, the Reserve Bank warned further increases could be on the cards amid growing pressure on the federal government to do more to fight inflation. The RBA board has held the interest rate at 4.1% as of the Tuesday meeting which is yesterday, and this was the second pause in which in increases since it began its raising rates in May last year. Uh, RBA Governor Philip Lau said the pause gave the bank enough time to assess the impacts of its 12 previous rate rises, but has warned that this might be needed to get the inflation under control. And uh, over to Western Australia, where controversial new Aboriginal cultural heritage legislation came into operation on Saturday, July the 1st, amid criticism from some Aboriginal organisations that it does not go far enough. The legislation sets up a new system for managing and protecting cultural heritage in Western Australia and replaces the old Aboriginal Heritage Act. The old Aboriginal Heritage Act was the legal structure underpinning the destruction of the Jukun Gorge rock shelters in 2020. One of the chief concerns of the new legislation is that the Aboriginal Affairs Minister will continue to have final say over the status and protection of all cultural sites with traditional owners having no right of appeal. The Chief Executive of the Kimberley Land Council, Tyrone Garstone, is reported as saying the bill will not protect Aboriginal cultural heritage and will continue a pattern of systemic racial discrimination against Aboriginal people. Complaints have also been lodged as to the timing of the rollout for the legislation, which was released to some organisations less than 24 hours before it came into operation. Calls for a delay in the start date for the new law have been shared by some farming, mining and industry groups. And that's it for headlines this morning. So, let's have a chat about what we've got on in this morning's program. We've got a completely First Peoples-centred program this morning to celebrate NAIDOC Mm -hmm. Week and uh, we've got... Lots coming up. Um, to start off with, we're going to be um, paying respect to 
some of uh, our local elders and uh, we'll be hearing from Auntie Georgina Lovett-Williams who is a Gunditjmara elder born in Fitzroy, so just nearby the, our station here at 3CR, who's been actively involved with the development of Aboriginal community organisations and is an elder on the council at Deakin University. Grace, what have we got after that? Yep, so basically I spoke to Jakali Romanis, uh, Romanis who is the photography PhD candidate at Monash University. And basically we discussed problematic Western maps, like for example Google Earth, with its inaccuracy of representing Indigenous lands and how this affects our understanding towards that representation. And then at um, around quarter to eight, we'll be having a listen to our Beyond the Bars special broadcast, which, um, as our listeners will know, takes place every year in NAIDOC week when 3CR shares the voices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Victoria's prisons. So yesterday the team headed to... Uh, the Barwon Prison down in Lara near Geelong. So we'll be having a listen to uh, the conversations they had had there. Yep. And finally, we'll be revisiting as well again a, con- a conversation with Uncle John Baxter, who's a proud Latya Latya Naringa man, a proud member of Reconciliation Victoria and First Peoples Disability Network, about the currently ongoing exhibition called Unfinished Business in regards to national, Re- which was in regards to the National Reconciliation Week. Uncle John has been instrumental in ensuring the exhibition honors and respects the cultural heritage of the First Nation peoples it represents. He worked alongside co-curator Belinda Mason to bring the artworks into Manningham. And we're also going to have lots of First Nations music um, this morning. So let's kick off with Elia. This is Red Wine. We dream it of time when we can drink red wine and build a white fence of our own. Waking up to blue sky stars staying in our eyes Like a honeymoon in our own home Is this all in our heads? This is out of our hands Such a fraction of a chance that we could be forever So don't wait Such a fraction of a chance that we could be forever. 
was Red Wine by Aaliyah. We're going to head into our first conversation this morning uh, with Auntie Georgina Lovett-Williams, a Gunditjmara elder born in Fitzroy, who's been actively involved in the development of just about every Fitzroy Aboriginal community organisation. She also sits on the Elders' Council at Deakin University and is currently the volunteer chairperson of the Waruna Trust, which manages manages the Waruna Aboriginal Cemetery. Auntie Georgina Williams recorded her story for 3CR as part of the Elders' Precious Memories series put together by the late Gilla McGuinness, a community broadcaster who worked at 3CR for 41 years. As Gilla said, it is vital to record and archive the stories of the Elders in order to inform future generations of their struggles stories of survival, celebrations, achievements and concerns. And with the theme of this year's NAIDOC week being For Our Elders, we invite you to dip into the series and hear from these revered community people. But for now, let's take a listen to Auntie Georgina Williams-Lovett as she shares some of her precious memories. My name is Georgina Lovett-Williams. I'm a Gunditjmara elder. I'm a mother, a grandmother, a great-grandmother and an auntie to many. I was born at the Women's Hospital and brought home to Young Street, Fitzroy, right near Gertrude Street in 1943. I hear through virgin I would like to state that I'm a sibling one out of five. So I've had a large family and I've been lucky enough to be the youngest of the five, which meant I I think I got spoiled quite a bit. (laughs) My mother was a lovett. My grandfather is a lovett from the Gunditjmara country in the southwestern district. And my father is an Egan. 
He is also Gunditjmara, man from the Western District. My mother, Gertrude Christina Lovett, they called her Gertie, came to Fitzroy with my grandfather. She had my first brother in Hayward. He was born in Hayward. And then the next four, we were born in Fitzroy, Melbourne here, at the Women's Hospital and lived in Fitzroy. So that was 43 when I was born and the, so be the mid-30s. And Mum was a great person for always returning to country. We did this on a constant basis. And uh, my mother's visits were always the strangest ones. They were never less than six months. (laughs) So visits, you weren't just there for the long weekend. (laughs) And while we was back at country... I'd go, we'd go, be sent to school, so we went to school and we'd live the normal life again. Then we came back to Melbourne and that just continued all the way through my life until my mother died when I was 15 and a half. So that was part of my life of backwards and forwards, which I thought it was a great life because I was connected to my country. She made sure we were always connected, even though we were living in Fitzroy. And it was a big effort for my mother to do all that. But she she done it constantly. Her connection to country and family in country was never broken, not through distance or through lack of money to move. She would somehow get train fares and we would all travel up and then we'd come back. It wasn't an easy life for her at all, Fitzroy, in those days because we didn't have houses. My mother rented rooms for us and because they were also trying to take children away from Aboriginal women at that time she was always on the move. We may only stay in accommodation for nine months and then mum would just pick up and we'd move again so during my very early years I couldn't count how many houses we lived in (laughs) could not count them, I've forgotten so many of them because we moved on a constant basis because of the conditions and there was a lot of heavy work put on our people, you know, taking children away, as you know. She was aware of all those things happening and she didn't even take a pension until many, many, many years later so that they wouldn't have an address on her because in her mind she they're not getting my children. <laughs> so we was always moving. Plunging over rugged rocks Hear the water song Going back, I think there would be 11 or 12 families at the most in Fitzroy, Aboriginal families, when I was born here and growing up here and going to school here. And you all knew each other because they gravitated together, you know, and always spoke to one another and was kind to one another. And, and us kids naturally got to know each other. We'd play together and talk while they were talking. They were good people, the Aboriginal people here. The times were that stress, but they'd always have time to play the mouth organ and have a sing-song. Someone would play a piano and somebody would be able to do something else. They didn't take burdens with them on a 24-hour-a-day basis. They made things lighter. So as children didn't have that 
anxiety feeling that they would have been living under, really. They didn't spread it round to us. So we were very fortunate to have such strong people like that in our lives, you know, to guide us along the road. They'd all taught us how to fight. You go and fight your battles. <laughs> Never mind about, don't come home crying, you go fight your battles. But don't be rude and don't be disrespectful. That was what we were taught from them as well. You know, even though for hard times they didn't like your children being disrespectful or bad manners, that was not tolerated. And because we were such a small place, if we'd done anything wrong, they'd know in two seconds flat. <laughs> they'd all talk to one another. <laughs> there was no organisations then, remember, and people came to Melbourne for work. People drifted into Melbourne, into Fitzroy, because Fitzroy was the poorer section of Melbourne at that time, not like now. And people could rent a room or, you, you know what I mean, for a small amount or stay in the park. The men often just slept in the park in the exhibition gardens to try to get some work for the family. People drifted in. You couldn't very well drift into Turak and you'd be thrown out in two seconds flat, you know, but being a poor suburb, the outer suburb, but close to work, the Second World War was on then, remember, just finishing, so there was ammunition factories and all those kind of things that they could get some work and, and such. A lot of returned soldiers at the time. When I was growing up, we seen a lot of soldiers just coming and going, you know. Not so much into our house, but in the, the street walking because it was close to the city, Fitzroy. <laughs> so you sort of seen a lot of people. We met a lot of different people that we just sort of grew up with, the Maltese came. They were a nice race of people, the Maltese. They were very much like us, gentle people. They were hard-working, you know. There was no organisations. There was a lot of racism from the, the police in those days when I was growing up. Our people always getting slammed into jail for some idiotic purpose that they thought up. And then, of course, when they got them in it, they'd get belted and we lost a lot of our people being hung. They say they... They hung themselves and all sorts of things in jails. We lost a lot of family members that we all knew about and we knew where it was coming from. So that was a great concern to us, not so much as young ones because that wasn't our responsibility, but I grew up seeing the worry, you know, with my parents and grandfather and, you know, they worried about these things happening to their own people. And, of course, we were never the right ones. We were always the wrong ones as far as jails were concerned and courts were concerned and whatever. We had no organisations and owing to these kind of things, the legal service was established in the hope of sorting this out and getting some justice for our people within prisons, within just the local jailhouse. So organisations started to spring up through the need of the disadvantages we were suffering under. Racism just followed Aboriginal people. It was like it, the non-Aboriginal people had a right to have it be racist against us, not taking into account once that they're on our country. <laughs> what are we apologising for? They came from England. It was their set way of thinking of how they treat their poor, their people, and they brought that with them. They spoke big words and nice big words and that, the government people, but it didn't filter down to the ordinary person and we suffered deeply. 
My mother and my grandfather live in the same house and he joined the Communist Party. He said at least they treat you as an equal. So there was quite a few of our people at that time, not too many, a handful, that also joined the Communist Party because they did treat them as equals. And, of course, our people who did join the Communist Party had another cross to bear. <laughs> you know, that was held against them as well. Everything they'd done in those days, they, they, everything that they'd done and got, they fought for, and you suffered for it. My grandfather alone, he died coming from a communist party and was run over in, in the parade over here, and that was about six o'clock and that, and he was run over. Now, the truth of it is there'd be about three cars on the road in those days. He wasn't a drinker. He wasn't running across the road drunk. and didn't know where he was going. We put that down as a, as a murder. Of course, no police were going to accept that or anything else. They put it down as accidental death and whatever. Never found the person who hit him, of course. These are the kind of very... The, the real hardships that our people fought for in the days, in the early days of Fitzroy. But we survived because the people that were here, they cared about one another and they were just trying to do the right thing and get jobs and get some work for the sons and daughters went into, usually in the ammunition factories or cooking or housework, mainly housework. My grandfather's sisters both went into house, housework, living in housework, you know what I mean, over in Turak and wherever, South Yarra. That was um, common for our people to always be separated just to survive. And then our organisation started to grow. Then we got the Aboriginal Health Service, which was a, a wonderful thing because our people weren't going to the hospital even when they were should have been in there a long time ago with their illnesses. But on the verge of dying, they'd finally get to a hospital. But they weren't treated well in there either, you know. The racism sort of followed you everywhere. Even though there were good non-Aboriginal people around, they were certainly outweighed by the prejudice. You get two good ones and then you get eight miserable people who thought they owed themselves a living and not once did they think, why why are we here? It was always, why are we, uh, the Aboriginal people here? So that was sort of life with us, you know. So it wasn't easy, but our people stuck together and understood each other's problems in those early years and we moved a lot. We, we were terribly overcrowded. Each family was more than overcrowded for the simple reason you'd have somebody else coming down from the country to get work, to try to get on and get a job. They couldn't get work in their own country. That went with the colonisation of the white man who took everything. So it was very hard for all the people in... There wasn't any rich Aboriginal people here in the early years when I was growing up. We didn't have people who was even well off without being rich, just being well off. You're lucky if you could even rent a place, you know. It, it was just, it was very hard for our people. But we all fought hard. We're fighting people. We're all the same. We will stick together for issues, for the better of the, the whole. And organisations came along and we worked hard on each one that we thought we needed the most, you know. 
the brother of the St. Lawrence, they came about the same time as Father Tucker. He came to Brunswick Street, Fitzroy, the same time as our grandfather, about the mid-30s. He was a very good man. He was um, a man who really cared about the issues of the poor that they faced. He was an exceptional person, actually. And he used to come to our house to talk to Grandfather to learn more about the Aboriginal people. He found Grandfather a great man to talk to, who was, well, sensible, knew what his issues were, and was willing to share with him for the better of the people, because you got somebody with an influence who cared. So I was brought up with Brother of St. Lawrence being a part of me, <laughs> as well as just being family. That was part of my life growing up, and uh, a few other families around here. We just loved it as young people. The Hudsons, the Greens, some of the families that lived in Gertrude Street here and the Aboriginal, well, we loved the um, Brother of St. Lawrence. They took us on excursions, and that, that was a great thing for us in those days. We couldn't afford an excursion. <laughs> So they done all those things. We actually went there to use the bath, to bathe after school. They provided those kind of things. That was a wonderful place. <laughs> anyway, the Brother of St. Lawrence. And that was Gundit Chamara, Elder, Auntie Georgina. Love it, Williams. Sharing some of the precious memories from her life story and really showing us the importance of capturing and listening to the stories of our elders, uh, as they can tell us the truths from the past, but also guide us into the future. To hear more of Auntie Georgina's story and to learn uh, from the other elders who contributed to the Precious Memories series, you can head to 3cr.org.au forward slash Yarra Elders and you'll find the whole selection there. Hi, I'm Robbie Thorpe. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men and women in Victoria's prisons. Uh, we are such a huge representation in prison all over Australia. Statistically, it has to stop and it's gonna, not going to stop while you're building more beds in a prison. It's a Band-Aid. What about beds outside? Tune in to 3CR during NAIDOC week at 11am each day from Monday the 3rd to Friday the 7th of July. We'll take you inside six Victorian prisons. Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, Barwon Prison, Fulham Correctional Centre, Loddon Prison, Marguerite Correctional Centre and Port Phillip Prison. To hear stories, songs, opinions and poems from the men and women inside while connecting with culture and community. The shows will be live on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. 3CR Digital and streaming via our website or the Community Radio Plus app. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. Get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at the station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for $20.
Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. And you're listening to 3CR Breakfast with Grace and Claudia, 855am on the dial. And this is our NAIDOC Week special. We're going to head to a, a song now, and this is Nancy Bates in this together. Should I take your hand? Would you help me understand? I'm searching for the truth there in the dark. I know I don't know, but there's a yearning in my heart. And it speaks to me if I'm awake or sleeping. Some time to feel your good heart feeling mine. I've been hurting for a past I cannot change. I'm not looking for anyone to blame. So just walk beside me to a place where we'll be free. Yeah. 
And that was In This Together by Nancy Bates. A beautiful song for a beautiful morning. Hope that, that was a song that helps you warms your warms your heart and get get you going for the day if in a good mood. So basically, I re- re- we are going to be re- revisiting a conversation with Jakali Romanis, a proud Pita Pita woman who is an emerging artist, researcher and curator based on Colin Land. She was raised on Wadawurrung country in Tokwe. Jakali moved to Narm to continue her tertiary studies in 2018. And she's actually currently currently still a photography PhD candidate at Monash University. Basically, Jakali did a very interesting research last year. And this was in regards to Western maps, for example, like Google Earth. And she was she was doing this to help uh, for her for her for her research project and she noticed there was a bit of problems with how western maps represent lands in australia and so we basically discussed we basically discussed the problematic western maps with this inaccuracy of representing indigenous lands and how this affects our understanding towards that representation so let's take a listen so now we'll be heading on to our next segment. If you're unfamiliar with what Google Earth is, it is basically a program that renders 3D representation of Earth based primarily on satellite imagery to find countries and the names of the lands of that region you are looking for. However, these technologies carry a rarely acknowledged subjective and colonial agenda towards representing places. Joining me this morning is Jakali Romanis, a proud Pita Pita women artist, researcher and curator who is currently conducting her PhD research in Monash University. Her research focuses on examining large corporations like Google Earth Image and we will be discussing problematic Western maps as such with its inaccurate representation of indigenous knowledge of place and the myth of Terra Nullis, another name for Peter Peter, located in Western Queensland. Good morning, Jahali. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, thanks. All right. So your expertise is to use art to explore Western maps like Google Earth. But before we head into that, you had used it to explore Peter Peter. Could you have first explained what happened while you were using this map to explore your land? Um, yeah, sure. So I started this project in 2020, at the start of the pandemic, and what sort of brought me to exploring Peter Peter through Google Earth was actually not being able to travel there because of COVID-19 restrictions. And so what I found was um, the imagery that was within Google Earth of Peter Peter hadn't been updated for more than 10 years. Uh, so it hadn't been updated since 2007. The imagery was really low detail um, in parts. There was no street view, so there are sort of like two functions of Google Earth. There's this aerial view, and then there's a street view function as well. Um, and I found that the street view function was only available down, you know, the main street of a small town called Bulia, which sits on Pitta Pitta. And how did you use um, art to explore this problematic nature of this map? Um, I, I use my practice as a way of pointing the finger at Google Earth, essentially. 
by utilizing the images that they've made and then layering images that I have made of country on top. Um, so I'm sort of saying, this is what you can see in Google Earth, and then this is what actually exists there. Um, and for me, I, I found that my practice is, you know, a more accessible way for people to actually interact with these ideas and understand them. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm, I see. And um, I remember when you uh, was talking about this in the conversation article that which which I where I found you, and you mentioned about a wadi tree, which is a rare species of Acacia endemic to central parts of Australia, and and as you've mentioned when you were looking at Google Earth, it had been reduced to a blob of blob of pixels. So you wondered why was this tree um, treated as very unimportant? So what was your answer to that? Um, well, the answer to that, I mean, <laughs> that's a, a tricky question. Mm-hmm. Um, the Wadi tree is an important corroboree tree for my people. And so that's, why I went looking for that particular site within Google Earth. Um, but, yeah, thinking about sort of solutions and answers to how we can kind of uh, combat, combat isn't really the right word, but how we can think critically about these technologies. Um, it's really difficult because I feel that a meaningful collaboration with traditional owners and with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples about country and place with corporations like Google Earth actually probably isn't possible in that these two very contrasting value systems being forced to work together, um, I just, yeah, I don't think it all, I don't think it could really work. I don't think Google Earth could meaningfully collaborate with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, yeah, does that make sense? Is that what you mean by solutions? Or Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was just um, because uh, obviously the fact that they had like created into a block of pixels, it shows that they didn't really understand the importance of this tree being there, even though, and especially because they were showing about um, images of the land, it's also very important to include parts of it that are meant to be there. So yeah, definitely. And then um, how ha- how has this created this false colonial narrative of the terra nullis, which means land belonging to no one? Um, well, terra nullis was a term used when Australia was first colonised. And as you said, it means land belonging to no one. And so... Through my work, I'm suggesting that Google Earth is actually continuing this false narrative because there is no significant acknowledgement of, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander custodianship of country and of place. Um, Obviously, within Australian history, we understand that Australia was stolen from traditional owners and traditional custodians. Um, and, yeah, to kind of not have that acknowledgement even of place names or whose country you're on or anything like that, I think it's continuing this narrative that we weren't here, that this, was, this wasn't 
Indigenous land when we were colonised, which, of course, isn't true. Uh, it's Judith here. I'm just um, interested in the way that this colonization is perpetuated by these kinds of things like Google Earth Maps. And uh, it, it must come up, was, it must have been really startling for you when you kind of realize that. Yeah, no, it absolutely was. Um, I mean, it was startling, but not surprising. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And what's your country? Um, country for me is Pitcher Pitcher. So it's about 300 kilometers south of Mount Isa in Queensland. Right, okay. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's really interesting country there. It's, it's very, I, I'm a, a lot of mining happening there, of course. Um, yeah, so not, not particularly around Pitcher Pitcher, thankfully, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's only a very small township that sits on Pitta Pitta. The population is like 300 people. So it's it's quite um, isolated. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, again, I mean, Grace already did ask about your art. So you're imposing uh, maps for First Nations peoples on the Google Maps. As that was my sense of it, but please tell me if I'm wrong. I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> oh, so, I'm sorry too. Um, I, I'm just, uh, I mean, Grace already did ask about, you know, your art and how you're engaged, your art is engaging with this, uh, phenomenon that you've discovered. And I'm kind of, um, wondering, you know, if I were seeing a piece of your art, what it would look like. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, <sighs> You, I think my work looks a lot like this strange third dimension, which is essentially what Google Earth is, in a way. Yes. Um, so you'd see lots of pixels, lots of, it would look like, I guess, some sort of um, dystopian video game landscape. That's what it would look like. It sounds um, amazing. <laughs> quite hard to describe it with words isn't it because your your expertise is on showing pictures to really um i would say um portray what you want what you're trying to show is that correct yeah no absolutely <laughs> it's that's a you know a fun exercise actually trying to describe it with words <laughs> yes definitely and yeah i remember when i was reading um the article about how you were describing it, the the pixels and everything it was very interesting to see that although some people might not exactly um, understand the terms that we are using in terms like pixels and like the glitches and stuff. So yeah, it's very interesting on that. And um, I'll, I just wanted to ask you, um, you said you mentioned something about technology dysfunctions of this glitches in time, as you mentioned with the Wadi tree, uh, and these are like considered tears in the technological fabric of Google Earth. What did you exactly mean by that? Yeah, so... Um I think we expect technologies like Google Earth because of the way that they've been made to be these very clean-cut, functional tools that we can use. Um, but like any technology that we engage with, there will be times where it doesn't work as it should. Um, and so these glitches in time are these sort of spots that I found where this technology kind of dysfunctions 
is where I found that either the image isn't rendering correctly, um, it warps. Um, basically, I'm sort of pointing to these, you know, where the, where Google Earth, the image and the resolution and everything that comes with it doesn't work as it should. And so I'm saying when that occurs that it is glitching and therefore tearing, so tearing itself apart. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you're trying to imply that, like, there's glitches that are showing. So, there's glitches image. It's basically representing and resembling the tears of this technological dysfunction. I mean, technological fabric of Google Earth. Yes, yeah. Okay, understood. And, um, yeah, so... With with this article that you also have put up, about what what do you want our listeners to understand coming out from this? Um, I think to never kind of take things on face value. So particularly when we think about maps, mm-hmm. um, when we think about Google Earth, you know, I think often we approach these technologies as if they are scientific and that they're objective, when actually there are very subjective decisions made about what is included in these maps and what isn't. Um, So I think to kind of, you know, approach these technologies critically um, because there are narratives sort of embedded within them with agendas, basically, yeah. Mm, I see. Yep. That's yeah. It's very interesting. And I remembered when I was reading uh, throughout your entire article, I was so interested in this because I never knew there was a problem with this. Like, I I had heard of Google Earth before, but I didn't realize there was these small little things that they didn't really represent. And I think it's so important to um, have accurate representation of indigenous knowledge of place. So definitely, that um, I hope this thing can be solved and in the future although that's how it goes right yeah thank you yeah <laughs> i'm glad you got something out of it <laughs> no problem uh, uh thank you so much akali on on this um yeah hope to talk to you soon and in case if there's anything in the future about this we can t- chat then thank you so much grace for having right. me thank you no problem bye-bye bye bye Joining me this morning was Jokali Romanis, a proud Pitapita woman artist, researcher and curator, who is currently conducting her PhD research in Monash University, where we discussed problematic Western maps and their inaccurate representation of the indigenous, indigenous knowledge of place and the myth of Terra Nullis, um, which is also known as the actually the Wadi Tree. You can follow her via Instagram at Drukomanis, uh, spelled as J-U-C-R-O-M-A-N-I-S. Yep, that is true via Instagram. And the conversation article that I was actually mentioning about, it's actually talking about how Google Earth is an illusion, how I am using art to explore the problematic nature of Western maps and the myth of Terra Nullis. You can head on to Conversation there to learn more. And that was Jokali Romanis, a photography PhD candidate at Monash University. 
and she discussed her problematic Western maps, as I mentioned. We listened at curiosity of representing in the Indigenous lands and how this affects our understanding towards that representation. Jakali has been doing a lot of work since then as well, because this was conversation revisited last year. She was a finalist at the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art Awards, Telstra Natsia. And she is also currently a artist committee member at West Space Gallery. If you want to have a read of her of her article that she did, you can head to her website uh, at jakalifelicitiasromanis.com. And we also can pop in the show notes for you. And now to Claudia. Thanks, Grace. Hope our listeners are enjoying this NAIDOC week special on breakfast with Grace and Claudia. We're going to go to a couple of announcements now and then when we come back we're going to be hearing from Beyond the Bars and uh, listening to some stories from the Barwon prison that were um, was broadcast yesterday. When I was new to Melbourne, I found a Food Not Bombs fly on the road and I had like this feast with a carrot and carrots are my favourite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111 500. That's 1300 111 500. Wellways supports 3CR. So yesterday, uh, the 3CR Beyond the Bars team headed to the Barwon region to hear stories of NAIDOC week from First Nations residents of the Barwon prison. It was part of the annual live broadcast from Victoria's prisons that we do every year. So for five days, 3CR shares the airways with those who are incarcerated, bringing you opinions, songs and insights from First Nations men and women. So yesterday's broadcast, as I said, came from the Barwon Prison in Lara, just outside Geelong. 
So we're going to take a listen to what the fellows down there had to say. Uh, we're here at the uh, Barwon Prison in Lara on the land of the Wathurung people. So I'd like to acknowledge um, the ancestors of those people, their elders and all that community there. And this beautiful country. Brr. Yes, we're live at Bowen Prison. It's great to be here today and we're here for NAIDOC as the second uh, prison run for this week. We had the Deer Park. We were in Deer Park at Dame Phyllis Frost with the ladies yesterday and today we're really happy to have all the boys with us, all the, our, our deadly men. <laughs> yeah. You're going to do a bit of a welcome, eh, bub? Yeah, so um, my name's Cody. I would like to uh, listen to Beyond the Bars 2023, Bar and Prison, Free CR Community Radio. Um, just want to acknowledge, uh, pay my acknowledgements to the uh, elders past and present and emerging uh, and uh, elders of uh, ancestors of this land, the Wadawurrung people. Um, and yeah, just, uh, yeah, just uh, Free CR, ready, ready to go, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. That's great. Great to see you all here today and and good to see you. Thanks for that. Thank you. <laughs> How have you been for NAIDOC week? Yeah, good. So I um, started to take more interest in culture myself and I think we'll all take more interest in being connected and stuff. But, um, you know, just uh, watching, uh, you know, the NAIDOC, like NAIDOC Awards and NAIDOC TV, uh, NITV and just trying to um, understand, you know, where we come from. Do you, do you get much culture here, you find, or it, it well, better? Yeah, before we had Clint ALO, it was a bit like, you know, we were just sort of wondering about just not really being connected because there was no, um, we didn't, we, there was no... We didn't, we didn't, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, and then when he was gone, we didn't have an ALO for a few months, and we had to take that initiative ourselves to get connected, but then... Then Clint um, also showed up, and he's very on top of stuff and helps us um, to be a part of it. And through uh, stuff like uh, Beyond Survival and um, other things that we've done, we've, we're at a good place now, I believe. Uh, yes. And Karina. And Karina. And Karina, yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks like you've got a good crew there. I, I noticed that you've got a, a, a fireplace out the front there. How'd that come about? How long have that been there? So they built this place um oh what, what six months eight months ten months ago well could we had a old man's shed but there was no, no uh fire pit there we've got a fire pit in the unit that um um brother boys here's uh gone together before i was even here but um they've got a uh, unfortunately now they've told us that we built too close to a gas main apparently <laughs> so um we can't um have a fire there but we we have fires down here at the men's shed okay yeah. oh that's good that's lucky isn't it yeah, yeah, it's better than, better than nothing. It'd still be good to have it in the unit because then we can sort of try to go about doing it ourselves instead of having to wait for the prison to get together. So, yeah. Yes. This, this is the first jail in it that's got a men's shed for the boys. No, Paul Phillips got one. Are they? I think it's, a, or it's, it's also a men's shed for just everyone. It's not a, specifically for Indigenous people. Um, there's no real specific Indigenous... Um, facilities here, you know what I mean? What, what do you get to do at the mansion? Uh, so they do music here. We do, well, obviously free CR right now. Um, we have movie nights here. Um, and we, have, we come down, we do paintings, we do crafts, and uh, the, we have the fire pit for uh, smoking ceremonies as well. So what would you like to see? What bring in here that you could do here? What, what you'd like well, to see happen? You know, just um, more 
opportunities for, you know, maybe cultural foods or um, trying to get, you know, some sort of, you know, just some sort of recognition. Um, like, because we, well, there's, there's steps being taken. So maybe a, a couple of years ago it would have been like, oh, they do nothing. But they are taking steps recently in the recent, like, we've got, we've got two didgeridoos, we've got clapsticks, we're able to paint them up, we're able to um, have our ceremonies. Um, but, you know, like, why stop now? You know what I mean? Why, why, why? There's a sort of prison mentality where it's like, you ask for something and you'd be happy for whatever you get. Okay. And they're sort of like, if you get half of what you ask for, then you should just be happy with that. A lot of people think that, but I don't know if I want to think like that or if like we should think like that. We should really be, you know, taking it to the next step and keep on asking for what we believe is um, our rights. And yeah. Yeah. No. Good. Good call. And I always do that. Strive for what you really want and yeah. see where it lands. But always ask for you know, yeah. what you want, otherwise you'll never get it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Mm. What about for music stuff here? How's that going for you? Uh, personally, like um, I'm able to get my hands on instrumentals and stuff for my hip hop. Um, they do the music. The music class has been a bit um, wayward. It's been a bit like uh, once every two, three months, if even that, because of. Uh, I'm actually not sure why I haven't really found out, but it was just I think it was COVID at first. It was COVID, so they didn't have, for whatever reason, we weren't able to do it. But now it's so it's come back after six to eight months, you know. So there's opportunity for that sort of music. You know? Yeah, I work for the torch and all that, and we sell the paintings and that. But yeah. one of our future things is we're gonna hopefully bring music into it because that's being creative as well. Yeah, I'm 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 trying to get. Um, my own album recorded myself and there's other fellas who you know play guitar they sing they dance and um and uh you know they, a lot of these fellas do artworks i don't personally do too much art myself you know i'm more of a musician but um there's definitely there's definitely um talent and there's definitely people in here who you know need an outlet for their their craft and there's amazing talent in there inside yeah, yeah. What, what about what about the library and things like that? Is there enough reading material? Do people get into uh, that? And I've actually asked around about that because a Christian um, he asked about it when we talked to the assistant governor. So the assistant assistant um, commissioner showed up. I don't uh, Mr. Mr. Reaper, and he talked to us about what we um, believe we deserve culturally. And it was a good conversation, and he was very open-minded about, and very um, op- open for discussion about it. But um, Christian brought up that uh, is there books in the library at this, and um, I, 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 I walked, I said to someone, oh, I'm gonna go to on Friday to the library to find out. But he straight up told me, oh, last time I checked, like, what are, what are you looking for? And I said, oh, you know, maybe this dreaming stories, or maybe you know, um, historic things, or you know, whatever. And he said, there's not really much there. And I was like, oh. I'll still go check. And he's like, yeah, I'll, there's not much there. And I was like, I'll still go check, you know. But, um, yeah, there's not not much from what I've heard, but I'll have to check on Friday. Yeah, I think that's really important. Like, yeah. You can really uh, have a really extensive reading. Yeah. Uh, especially on culture and history and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, there was Anthony Mundine, the man biography on the, on the uh, shelf the other day. I grabbed that just because, like, you know, just to see, I do a bit of boxing myself, so it's, it's um, and just it's just nice to, you know, have those people who stood up, who stood up and spoke out, and you know, see what they went through because you know, as as I was saying to Robbie earlier, it seems like as soon as we do speak out against something, that you have 
people bickering about it in a negative way, you know, whether it's like, whether it's in prison or whether you hear about, you know, people in the streets, people you know, it, um, it is prevalent, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, um, if, if we get something, everybody else has got to have it as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's like one, uh, one person will say to me, like, oh, how are we not equal or like, you know, um, mm-hmm. or they think we are equal, you know what I mean? Like how, how we, um, you know, there was someone say to me, um, you know, I, I believe everyone should be equal, and it's like, well, it's easy to see two people sitting next to each other and saying they're equal, but in the grand scheme of things, we're not equal because we're not. This is, you know, this is our land, and this the government isn't run by Aboriginal people. You know, if you were in Italy, the the, the government's run by Italian people. You're in France, it's, it's run by French pe- French people. You know what I mean? But exactly. then then you have naysayers who try to point out that we shouldn't, you know have a say because we don't know what we're talking about and that's not true because no one's got Australia's best interest in heart than the Aboriginal people, you know what I mean? Yeah, I forget to mention that mm. um, Australia's the only Commonwealth country without a treaty. Yeah. Never bothered to get consent. Yeah. They're pretty serious issues uh, and our mm. people always said that we've never ceded our sovereignty. Mm. So, you know, what does that mean exactly? You know, and we need to un- unpack what that means because mm. just recently the Euro- I don't know if you know about the Europe Truth Commission. Yep, yep. This is looking into the history of Victoria. It's true history, and they're saying, and the state government said that um, they acknowledge the, the fact that Aboriginal people never ceded their sovereignty over their land. Well, what does that mean exactly? You know, that could have a mm. profound effect on people who are incarcerated in this country. Yeah. So you know, that's why it's, it's good to know stuff. It's good yeah. to know what's going on out mm. there. You know, because you know. Not that I've ever been to jail, but um, I've been to court a few times. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, it's important to know where you stand in the land and the law and be able to argue and defend yeah. yourself, basically. Yeah, exactly. Because um, it's also, what what do they um, say when we won't have sovereignty over our land? Is that because, you know, um, white government officials or foreign government officials will say we can't? Or is it because they won't, you know... They, they think we can't do it ourselves or like we can't you know we we can't have that because we can't you know it's just seems like they try to smear uh, run a smear campaign against us all the time you know I, I reckon it's just bl- bluffing us too yeah mm. not, not hoping that we won't ask those questions we're going to write those and yeah. ask these questions you know? yeah who is the true sovereign of this land is it mm. is it the British monarchs or is it our people you know, we know what the answer to that is. Yeah. So they they got to deal with that reality sooner or later. Yeah. And I think I think that's going to make a difference. Yeah. In, in yeah. It's, it's going to come back one day because mm. they started by locking up our mothers and fathers and our grandparents, and they're still sort of locking our people up and taking our children away. Yeah. It's not going to work yeah. for much longer. No. You know, no. like the international people will have a look at where we stand in this position and have a look at our human rights. Yeah. And, you know, it's not right that we are the most locked up people in the world and in Australia. Mm. In our own country. In our own country. How does that work? How does that feel? Because it would take time, but, you know, instead of taking, you know, children off their mothers or mothers and fathers, instead of um, doing that, you know, help those parents to take care of their children, you know what I mean? It's, um, exactly. You know, offer housing, yeah, offer, offer that sort of stuff, support. Because you know I mean? obviously yeah. it's one thing to offer um, that sort of opportunity to people who don't deserve it, but to not give it to people who do deserve it is a, 
is wrong. You know, we're, we're, what the, whatever the law says or whatever it doesn't say is, is wrong. You know what I mean? You should help people who need help. And that was Cody and his friends speaking about their experience of NAIDOT Week as part of 3CR's Beyond the Bars broadcast. Chris Austin, Shirley Hood and Robbie Thorpe presenting there for 3CR. And you can catch Beyond the Bars live every day this week starting at 11 a.m. So today the team is down at Fulham Correctional Centre near Sale in Gippsland from 11 to 1 and then they're heading to Loddon Prison in Castlemaine where the broadcast will be 1 to 3 and tomorrow 11 to 2pm at Mangonit Correctional Centre also down in Lara, Geelong and then on Friday to wrap up the week at Port Phillip Prison in Laverton broadcasting 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. And if those times are tricky for you to catch, you can also listen via the podcast at 3cr.org.au and head to the Beyond the Bars page. Yeah, so I encourage listeners to check in there. There's some really uh, important stories being shared. Some of them might be distressing, so maybe choose a time that is good for you to tune in. Um, And if you're interested in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander approaches to justice and the law or you want to learn more about the Koori Court, there's an event tonight called Elders and Culture in the Koori Court with uh, Uncle Walter Harrison, who's a Koori Court elder, Rose Fuller, a supervising Koori Court magistrate and county court County Koori Court Manager Terry Stewart. Uh, the event's hosted by the Deputy CEO of the Aboriginal Legal Service of Victoria, Amanda Dunstall, and that's uh, at the Wheeler Centre tonight in person, 6.30 till 7.30pm. And just head to the Wheeler Centre. You do have to book. It's a ticketed event, but free for First Nations audiences. Um, yeah, so head along. And tomorrow night, there's the Black Literature event. Listeners who were tuning in last week might recall I spoke to the editor of the uh, First Nations Classics series and we heard about uh, some of the speakers that will be coming along, the authors of the books in the classic series as well as those who have written introductions to each of those um, literary pieces. So there's going to be music and all sorts of things. So that's on at the Capitol Theatre tomorrow night, also hosted by the Wheeler Centre. So hop onto their website to find out more and book tickets. Yep, and then this Saturday, for those uh, who's much, much more free in the weekend, there'll be a Yelling Good Live Fritzroy tour for Nidog Week. Yellingwood invites you to celebrate Nine Dog Week by immersing yourself in the diverse and powerful stories of elders who were instrumental in the Aboriginal rights movement and establishment of community-controlled organisation. And this will be along iconic Gertrude Street, Fitzroy. It will be guided by Jason Tamiru, who, uh, where Melbourne auditors will walk with elders and community 
in person and also augmented, which is via the Yelling Good app and loudspeaker along the streets of App Original Fitzroy. The tour will begin at Historical Fig Tree in Carlton Gardens on the corner of Gertrude Street and Nicholson Street. And be, you will basically be exploring the stories, songs and poems in Yelling, Yelling Good app, which is also, as I mentioned, guided by Jason Tamiru. The event will concluded at will be concluded at the Builders Arms Hotel with more music and storytelling at this important gathering place. It's happening this Saturday, remember that, from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m. So yeah, do head to Gertrude Street for this session. Yes, so we're going to go to a song now, and then when we come back, we'll be hearing about another NAIDOC event, Unfinished Business, an exhibition that's um, being held at the Manningham Library. So uh, Gallery, sorry. Gallery. And, uh, yeah, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, we're going to play one of my favourite songs. Um, this is Shelley Morris, and Shelley was actually... Uh, awarded an Order of Australia in the recent King's uh, Awards. So we're going to listen to this track. It's called Saltwater People, and it features several generations of Yanawa women who are speaking in language. And, in fact, the award acknowledged that um, through Shelley's music, a whole generation of young Indigenous Australians are being connected to to language, which is so important and vital for culture. So here's Shelley Morris with Saltwater People.
Wale wale ango, lele anta wiriara, lianyua. Wale wale ango, lele anta wiriara, lianyua. was Shelley Morris with Saltwater People. You're listening to 3CR Breakfast. So we're going to be revisiting a conversation with Uncle John Baxter, who is a proud Laia Laia Laraga man, a board member of Reconciliation Victoria and First Peoples Disability Network. And we basically just discussed about the ongoing exhibition called Unfinished Business, and this was actually in regards to National Reconciliation Week. But basically, Unfinished Business this tells the stories of First Nations people with disability, and it just talks about the how the exhibition tells their story. So let's take a listen. Um, so before we move on, please note this upcoming segment may contain mentions of names or a discussion of deceased persons. So if you don't feel this is your cup of tea, please feel free to tune in again after 15 minutes. So as part of the Manningham Art Gallery, the exhibition called Unfinished Business reveals the stories of 30 First Nations people with disability. Joining me this morning is Proud Laja Laja, an Aruga man, uh, Uncle John Baxter, who is a board member of Reconciliation Victoria and First Nations First Peoples Disability Network. He is also the NDIS and Manningham Council's Reconciliation Action Plan Working Group member. So we're going to be discussing about the ongoing exhibition and in regard to National Reconciliation Week. Uncle John has been intr- instrumental in ensuring the exhibition honours and respects the cultural heritage of the First Nations people it represents. He worked all on- alongside human rights social documentarian Belinda Mason to bring the artworks into Manningham. Now joins us Uncle John. Good morning, Uncle John. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Happy yeah. National Reconciliation Week. <laughs> yep. So, Uncle John, can we first get you to share about what's the exhibition about? 
I tell you what, it is really, really exciting. Um, the exhibition tells the story, actually, of a group of friends of mine, but it's of 30 of our First Nations people and those living with disability. And it is truly extraordinary because the way it helps tell the story is one of the most extraordinary photographic images, which I believe are referred to as backlit three-dimensional mm-hmm. images that sort of seem to follow you around the room. And it really has to be seen to be understood. It is amazing. Mm, I see. So why have you decided to uh, bring this exhibition to life and why do you think this is so important? But well, if I could share the history of the exhibition Unfinished Business, this started quite some time ago um, and uh, the artist, Belinda Mason, was the one who did all the research for the exhibition, went around Australia to interview and then photograph uh, the participants that are involved. And the first screening we had was in Geneva, Switzerland, um, at the United Nations building, which was just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And since that time, it has been to quite a number of places around the world. I also was uh, very fortunate to um, help with the launch at the Museum of Tolerance in um, New York, uh, the USA. Um, And it's been in in a number of different states around Australia, except Melbourne. And so I kind of thought, Hang on a minute, we've got to work on that because I live here in Melbourne. Mm. And so started the negotiations about what do you think if we were able to get that exhibition here? And I said I worked with uh, Manningham with their um, Reconciliation Advisory Committee mm. and um, they have taken this on board as well. And the result is the exhibition is it's called at MC Squared, which, which is part of... Um, Manningham's uh, council officer, mm-hmm. Doncaster. I see. So, but Uncle John, we, we don't want to give away too much about the exhibition. But so basically, the exhibition does exhibit your story alongside other First Nations uh, people with disability. So what is it about your story that you would like people to know about? I think that if we're able to tell our story, that we have individuals who have achieved, even though there's been uh, at a, at a degree of dis- difficulty, it is well known that Aboriginal peoples are a disadvantaged group. Mm-hmm. And that might lead to a number of circumstances that might be with their educational, with their health, with their um, location. But I find it very inspiring to hear and read the stories of Aboriginal people, despite that, have managed to achieve their goals and have been a true uh, role model uh, to our, especially our younger people 
and um, uh, true elders to the, to the feds. Mm. And so, I see. So we are, and and with the fact that it's National Reconciliation Week, which is the time for people to learn about our shared cultures and obviously shared cultures and histories, and with this exhibition, it's it's also a very good opportunity for the young people to understand and learn about. So how would this exhibition be a good opportunity to achieve reconciliation? I think we're going through a very interesting time at the moment with reconciliation. We have um, the Uluru Statement of the Heart, uh, we have our voice to Parliament, and we have a referendum that is going to come up later this year. And I'm hoping that this exhibition, along with other important events, can help with the conversation for reconciliation and the work that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people do, but also to these important discussion points on where do we fit as a community, where do we sit as a society. How do we continue to be able to move forward and to be able to encourage and support our First Nations peoples? Mm, I see. And I guess also coming to almost, sorry, almost almost the end of regarding uh, of our questions, but just how, um, what what do you hope for for people to learn more and understand continuously? for First Nations people, especially those who are uh, yeah, with disabilities and importantly towards the people with disability? Mm. Um, I think people with disability, our First Nations people with disability, have, um, well, maybe considered a double disadvantage. And so we're sort of saying, well, that may not be the case. Or even if they do have disability, we still have the capacity to achieve and we would like to showcase this through this exhibition. I think Manningham has done an amazing job with the exhibition, and I encourage everybody to go along and have a good look at it and have a time out to read through the stories of the 30 individuals. I think that for myself, being able to... The message that I would love to leave would be that whether we are a First Nations person or not, um, if we have disability or not, we all have opportunity. Uh, I think that Australia is the most amazing place and I trust that people will that be one of the take-homes they get, that there is opportunity available for all. And sometimes it takes a little bit of courage it takes a little bit of hard work. Sometimes it takes a lot of hard work. But the opportunities are there. And I think to be able to read through those stories, to be able to identify with those individuals, I think is really, really important. And um, I'm very grateful for um, all the people who sort of helped uh, put uh, the exhibition together, especially during uh, National Reconciliation Week. And um, as I said, I, I really encourage people to go and have a good look at the exhibition. 
Mm, definitely, and yeah, this this is such an important topic, especially at this time of the week. And I I'm also really interested in this exhibition. I really do hope to go and visit this as well, Uncle John. <laughs> I hope you do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Thank you so much, Uncle John, for giving your time to us to talk to talk today. And that was Uncle John Baxter, proud board member of the Reconciliation Victoria and First Peoples Disability Network. If you'd like to visit the exhibition, you can head to Manningham, Manningham Art Gallery. And it's going to be going on for this entire month. And I think, yeah, it's basically happening until 29th July. So yeah, you can head there to uh, visit the exhibition. Well, thank you, Grace. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We definitely need to go and see that. We said uh, we would go and see that. We'll, if, have to, we'll have to make a date. We have to make a date because I haven't made a time and that's not good for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, I think we have to wrap up the uh, the show now. Um, hopefully our listeners have enjoyed uh, our NADOC Week special. Have a good uh, rest of the week and we will see you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.